This episode is brought to you by Visit Myrtle Beach. You know what's better than getting away to a beach? Getting together at the beach. Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. They've got over 2,000 restaurants, live music playing all day and night, and endless attractions. This place was made for playing hard and beaching easy. Welcome to 60 Miles Where You Belong. The Beach, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Plan your trip at visitmyrtlebeach.com. Hello and welcome. I am Giles Alderson and this is the Filmmakers Podcast. This is a podcast where we talk indie films and how to make them, how to get them made and how to try not to F it up in our very, very humble opinion. I'm Giles Alderson. I'm a writer, director and screenwriter. Recently, I've made the feature film The Dare, should be coming out later this year, and the World of Darkness feature documentary, which is out now. And I've produced the feature films A Serial Killer's Guide to Life and the found footage horror cassette. First of all, thank you so much for listening. Delighted to have you with us, because today... On this podcast, we talk to the fantastic director, Timo Verensola, about how he made fan movie Star Wreck by creating a studio in his mate's basement, how he learned to direct, and how one stupid idea of Nazis on the moon became a franchise hit. Iron Sky, yeah, that's right. And he did that, surprisingly, via crowdfunding. You find out all about that. And how he actually directed Iron Sky, his £10 million debut feature film, the big sci-fi that it is, with all the effects and everything like that. And seven years later, released the sequel, Iron Sky, The Coming Race, which is out now. And how the best ideas come out of saunas. And he gives so much advice for filmmakers wanting to make sci-fi and indie films. Oh yeah! We had so much fun uh, with Timo, myself and Robbie McCain, our brand new producer, editor. Uh, he joined me in the studio at Raindance HQ and had a great time recording the podcast. Timo is a brilliant, infectious, uh, fun guy to be around. So if you do get a chance to meet him at any festivals or screenings, then do, because he's brilliant. All right, today's podcast is sponsored by Script Pipeline. If you don't know what they are, if you don't know what they do, they review screenplays and TV pilots and connect those writers with Hollywood's top producers and managers. Screenwriters out there, this is for you. What are you waiting for? Producers out there, if you have a screenplay, send it in because you need to. Their next writing deadline is tomorrow. That's correct. It's May the 1st. And they are awarding over £55,000 to the winners. £55,000! Holy moly. So, um, get your scripts in now. Don't wait. Do it. Don't procrastinate. Do it today. That's what um, what the brilliant podcast film Pro Productivity with Cart Ferguson teaches us. Don't procrastinate. Do it now. Don't delay. But with Script Pipeline, most importantly, all the finalists will work with the lovely team at Script Pipeline in developing their other material. And they will promote their writers to industry long term. Something no other competition does. Plus, this year, Script Pipeline are offering free 
follow up Q&A calls to all entrants, answering any questions they might have about the industry. You can learn more at scriptpipeline.com and enter the next season by May the 1st tomorrow. Do it, do it, do it, do it. Thank you for sponsoring us today. Script Pipeline, go check them out. Link is in the show notes. So thank you for all your lovely comments and messages about last week's show on how to make a web series with Ian Diaz and Katie Sheridan. So do keep sending me messages like that. It makes it all worthwhile. And it's a delight. You get so much out of these podcasts. Um, do check out all our other podcasts at filmmakerspodcast.com. And if you're really feeling kind, do give us a lovely review and a five-star rating on iTunes. And do please spread the word about this podcast. It's just me doing all the tweets and the bagging and tagging and putting it all up there. That's why it's wonderful. I've got some help now from Robbie. Um, so any help would be amazing in getting the word out about this podcast. Who's going to can? Who out there is going to can this year, can 2019? Who's going? You going? I am. Uh, if you do see me there, come say hello. Uh, say listen to the podcast and hi, who you are. And let's get chatting because that's what it's all about. It's about networking. But if you are going to Cannes this year, then you'll be looking for an exclusive invite to a party in a luxurious villa where you can network and schmooze with other filmmakers, right? Oh yeah, of course you are. Why would you not be? So why not join me? at the Raindance Filmmakers Can Villa Party. Come celebrate independent film over a drink or two while talking about your film. Um, and you can get 20% off. All you got to do is enter the Filmmakers Podcast exclusive discount code PODCAST20 and get 20% off your ticket. Obviously, they're not going to pay your flights. That's just the ticket to the actual party. Um, booking link uh, is in the show notes. Can's going to be fun, that's for sure. Um, not only that, but I'm really looking forward to presenting all my projects there. We've got Food for Thought, the documentary, myself and Dan are going over. We've got Cowboys Come Fly, talking about that drama, the LBGTQ uh, feature film. We're promoting that there. Then I've got um, A Serial Killer's Guide to Life and Cassette. Plus, The Dare's going to be there with Millennium Films as well. So I've got quite a lot. Uh, plus all the other projects that are bubbling around um, King Arthur will be there as well the King Arthur project Lucinda that'll be on some poster at Signature um, in Signature Entertainment's uh, section so yeah it's, it's going to be a busy can for me and I'm really looking forward to it so do come say hello if you're there uh, and I'm going to be working my little socks off I'm also hosting a couple of events as well with Dom Lenoir um, so yeah all going. Um, oh, oh! I wanted to give a little shout out to Artisound. They did a wonderful little article on the Filmmakers Podcast this week. But what they do is they're a simple music licensing site. So if you're looking for music for your uh, podcast, for your films, promos, for your adverts, whatever, they get unique tracks uh, expertly chosen by these guys and it saves you time. Yannick Island there is fantastic. Uh, it's an affordable option, basically, for filmmakers to offer broad license cover and high-quality music. Um, and it's a very simple process as well. A big thing about that side is that the artists get a much bigger cut than the corporate competitors, um, even though the cost is much le less anyway. And they do have some royalty-free tracks on there. So do check it out, artisound.io. Link is in the show notes. Right. I've rambled on far too much. Um, but it was important this week because there's so much to give you. <laughs> and the, uh, just go out there and make your indie film. Make it happen. You can do it. You can do it. You're listening to this, so go out there and do it. Right, without further ado, get some inspiration from this brilliant guy. This team myself and Robbie. Enjoy. We are in 
rain dance at the moment. We've been put into a really small back room, um, and it's nice and hot in here. And I'm with Robbie McCain. Hello, Robbie. Hello, Giles. This is our new producer editor. How are you doing, buddy? Checking the vo- volume. I'm doing there. all right. Yeah, yeah. No, I enjoyed the Make Your Film event last night. It was yeah, very nice. Excellent. Thank you very much for those who came down. Um, we're delighted to welcome to the filmmakers podcast Timo Verasola. Verasola, yeah, that's hey, right. yeah. yeah, super. All right, good. Uh, welcome to the show. Thank you, buddy. Absolutely. Thank so, you. So, how come you're here? Why are you here at the moment, exactly in London? Because you don't live here, right? No, I don't live here. Why am I here? No, they brought me here because I think I have a film premiere. Here. Yeah, you yes, do. I do. Yes, you do. And it is a film called Iron Sky: The Coming Race, which I've been working on for seven years, and Woo-hoo! it's out now. Yeah, and it's coming years. out in UK. So that, yeah, that's the reason I'm here. That's super. That's yeah. super. And let's get to the beginning of that, and we'll end up of why you know the fact you are here for the for the screening of this, sure. the premiere of this, which is amazing, and it's such a cool, brilliant sci-fi film. It's so it. much fun. So let's start. You know, at the beginning, my research is that you did a bit of acting. Just a little bit. You know, I, it's not really about the acting. When I was a kid, I did a film called Star Wreck, yeah. which where where I played like this uh, Klingon kind of a character. Mm-hmm. That was many many years ago, and uh, uh, based on that experience, uh, the producer, so to say, producer, a person who was mostly behind the camera, yeah. which called himself a producer, <laughs> and also the main actor also, actually. So right, he right. kind of he, he thought that I have a loud voice, and then he asked me to direct his feature film called Star Wreck in the Beginning, which, was, uh, uh, which came out 2005, and that film uh, became quite a cult hit in, in the Star Trek sort of circles. Not necessarily wider, but that's already quite a big that's circle. A huge I mean, a audience lot of people, there, yeah. right? And that was also happened to be the first ever uh, feature length film that was released for free on the internet. That's 2005. That was before even YouTube opened. You so go. we were sort of ahead of that curve. Yeah. Obviously, it's a Finnish language. It's like uh, nobody understands the language, but, you know, subtitles and whatever. Mm-hmm. And, you know, communities starting to do subtitles in their own languages and whatever. Yeah. I started to get kind of this kind of traction and then people started to ask like what are you guys gonna do next but then friend of mine we were sitting in a sauna and friend Go of on. mine said that, that just uh, sitting in a sauna yeah, as you do yeah, we, yeah. but you know that's what we do every after every shooting day in Finland this is a regular thing yeah, in that's, Finland that's every, what you do. basically you, every after you do something that's that you know physically or somehow mentally hard people used to wind out in a sauna so that's what we do and we brilliant. do that yeah. I'd love to you do should, that yeah, I mean, it makes perfect sense it makes so. perfect sense yeah, it is it's just it's really good and then you have maybe want a beer or or it really takes the stress off what you've been doing. It really does. Because the sauna is one of the places where what kind of crazy ideas sort of come alive mm-hmm. because it's after the big stress and then, you know, you'll be working on something and then you know, there you are. And then a friend of mine said, you know, shyly that he had this weird dream last night. Yes. And in this dream, he was riding a bicycle and on the back of the bicycle was Adolf Hitler. Yeah. And he was very angry at him for something. He woke up and he realized that we have to do a film about Nazis on the moon because everything is like in sauna you come up with the craziest stuff and you forget it there but that somehow that stuck yeah so well it's, it's a great idea i mean yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's it sounded it's very visualized mm, like mm. that's the first thing yes. it's like if you say nazis on the moon everybody has an idea yeah not necessarily the same as i but everybody can have an idea maybe it's more crazier maybe it's more darker maybe it's more this or that but at least it sparks something. Yes. Well, it does. Instantly, it's visceral. You go, yeah. right, okay, I can imagine that. How do they breathe? How do they live? Suddenly, yeah. you're creating this community yeah. of what's happening. Absolutely. Like, and, and the questions also. Yeah. That sort of feeds 
feeds the audience imagination. That's the kind of thing that you want to do. So does, yeah. And, uh, you know, that's a great, great question for a filmmaker to start coming up with an answer. Absolutely. Yeah. And then it took, like you said, then it took you seven years yeah. till now to get that, the second one of the trilogy going. Yeah. Let's jump back a little bit to yeah. Starrett, because you said it was your, you know, your first directing mm debut if you mm. like talk us through that how did it come about in the first place why i know you obviously you've st- you acted in the other star Trek versions but why did you go right i'm going to direct what was it in you that said i want to direct something and write it and get it made yeah i guess it was i mean i if i really go back and look at myself i think it's it's the kind of being sort of the storyteller sort of the head storyteller of of all the groups of friends that i've been whether it's been live role-playing game or role-playing games oh, I've, great. Been the, I've been the game master ah nice and, you know, which role-playing games do you do you know you... i used to play call of tool i used to play cyberpunk yep. middle of the role-playing game role master i used to play rune quest I, you know I'll, did you do any world of darkness stuff at all was that uh, your yeah, yeah absolutely i used right. to play a lot of uh vampire cool. a werewolf uh, mage essentially yeah yeah okay uh, Charles you know, knows all about I know that. all about it. So I made the documentary on the world of darkness that came oh, out did? recently. Because oh, before, cool. I didn't know anything about that world. Yeah, so that yeah. was what got you into storytelling and being the, the role yeah, master. But it's not it. only that. I always had this sort of head full of ideas. And I, I felt like yeah. I can't keep that head of ideas uh, and, and let somebody else sort of tell how to use it. I, I need to somehow blurt it out myself. So that was the reason when he, he asked me eventually, like the, the script wasn't mine. It was it was actually a friend of mine who had been doing the short films for, for right. him and his friends for many, many years. And, and uh, he wanted to do a feature film and I didn't really know anything what is directing. So I went to the library. I, I lent like a big pile of books this is wow. di- this oh, is right. what directing is. Also, this is what, you know, sound design and, you know, mm-hmm. all about stuff. And just read you know, as much as I could comprehend, uh, I think the most important thing which I learned was actually about storyboarding, really. Yeah. Uh, I, especially I was, on sci-fi, yeah. Yeah, especially, yeah, yeah. and because especially when you do with the green screen and blue screen and what, and we were using that already. A lot of compositing then. and storyboarding. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Uh, you have to know what angle there is and, and uh, what kind of... So that's something that I, I picked up from, the, I mean, that's one of the things that I picked up from the books, not much more than that, but that was already quite important because that helps you think in a storytelling way, mm. you know, how you're actually going to compose this on the edit. And that's the number one thing which I understood. The later, the more I've worked on the film is like you, the only thing as a director you have to keep in mind, do you have enough material to run the edit the way that you need? You know, do you have that wide shot from that angle? Can you cut this here? Mm-hmm. That's the only thing you have to worry about. Yeah. Like, mm. like the actors, they'll do their job. You know, of course mm-hmm. you have to direct them, but, but, yeah. but, that's the only thing that anybody else, you know, nobody else have any idea. DP, maybe, mm. if you're lucky, if you have a DP who cares about that. Yeah. There are very different kind of DPs. Some don't. They just do the shot. Some mm. are like, oh, by the way, you forgot this angle and this angle. And then, then they can be also a pestilence, you know. They can be like, <laughs> sure. like, like come on. You I'm, need that I'm, fine balance, don't you? Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. This goes back to the uh, the 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 stuff that I learned from those books. Amazing. And so, and you brought that into, you know, directing style, right? How yeah. did your first day, do you remember going, oh God, oh shit, what am I doing? Well, oh. not in a way with Star Trek, I don't because the Star Trek was, was more like a, uh, it was kind of a hobby project that became more important uh, as it ran along. So for the first, mm. I can't remember the first day. I think I just showed up because we built a studio in my friend's mom's basement. Amazing. We, we built, like, we it. bought like this plastic mat that looks like wooden floor, painted it in blue 
put it on the wall. Let's shoot this. Probably what we need. Probably this. So I in see. a way, it, it kind of you were learning as you went. You were kind of yeah, going, yeah. okay, let's yeah. test. And then we we reshot that movie, I think, three times altogether because we learned and the camera got better. And oh, now this material looks horrible. Right. And, and we have to, you know, have HD now and whatever. Totally. And I imagine because of the blue screen, yeah. you were kind of learning. You went, actually, if we got this angle or mm-hmm. we did it, this would be better. Let's do it again. Yeah, absolutely. Amazing. So what a great learning process to, to bring was. you onto Iron Sky because you it could was. play if you like. Yeah. Also, it helped that it had such a lot of visual effects in it. Star Trek was mm. a full-on Star Trek adventure with the space battles and, and you know, explosion. And it actually, even still nowadays, looks pretty nice, pretty convincing yeah. to a certain degree. Did you know how to do um, the explosions? Did you no. know how to do or how? I still don't. But I learned what is going to be a very expensive mistake mm. and what is the point of when you need to get involved on what's happening because you see that the visual effects artists can do this and this and this and you know you have to know when you have you know you have to start smelling the problems of a shot mm. early on because the more it goes the harder it's go you know so i sort of learned more about the process what it takes what kind of obstacles there are of course i don't still know too much i i never learned or, or didn't even want to learn the visual effects too much oh, but did didn't. you always know that you wanted to make movies that had these kind of big special effect set pieces in because yeah. that's definitely been a trend like in your i i guess i did that i guess was the one thing that, that even when i think like all the all the stories that i've sort of written or thought about writing or whatever they always seem to be featuring those like huge massive big ass mm. sets or set pieces that just just don't fit into anything else but the computer you know you cannot do it without the computer yeah. effects and did you do you always have that person with you on set uh, your special effects supervisor yeah, sort of going yeah okay super, yeah. we need the camera here we need this or uh, yeah is there a debate between the two of you but like well actually i want to do this could this work could with star Trek, it was more uh like like we shared very much of the storytelling because he was he was focused on the visual effects and i was focused on the story and the mm. characters and sort of and and, and of course the, you know what we need to shoot and and everything so all of that came together uh kind of more in link later on that i worked visual effects supervisor has always been there mm-hmm. uh and i learned that that the better relationship you have with the visual effects producer the better the result is going to be and that's the reason that's these are the two people that i make friends is the dp and the vfx supervisor mm-hmm. because if, if there is any problem with either one of those then i am going to be the one who has to solve it in the edit yes and that's usually when the producer comes like why didn't you do it why didn't you ask it why what the hell is going on here? Mm. and that really is something i, I want yeah. to avoid <laughs> that conversation absolutely yeah yeah absolutely that's great and let's come on to iron sky then so after star Trek, it had done quite well yeah in terms of you know it's big Um, star trek fan base and they jumped on board yeah so how then did you get the money for iron sky how did it come about you know in terms of you going right i'm gonna i want to do something along these lines like say on the moon and from there you go okay cool i've got this idea Mm -hmm. what did you do with it well you know um we didn't really know what to do with the with a professional movie. Like I said, Star Trek was more or less self-made, self-financed. You know, we paid it out of our own pockets. Mm-hmm. We made a couple of producers who were like asking, like, do you have another story? Because it was something new. In Finland, we hadn't done anything like that. And anything that actually had reached sort of outside of Finland borders in, in, in any kind of capacity in, in many, many years. You know, of course, we have right. our 
big author director Agegaurus Magi, but it's more like a, that kind of art house movie. But but yes. that's kind of stuff that's like the geek audience or even sort of mm. big audience kind of you know visual effects stuff never happened in Finland. Uh, so a lot of producers started to ask us, and then then uh, we met the guy called Tero Kaukomao, and he was really like, okay, so what do you guys have for the next? And we were really, you know, shy. We didn't know well, maybe we could do another Star Trek, and he was like, yeah, I don't know. We said, well, we had this one stupid idea about Nazis on the moon, and he was like, that's it, that's great, that's wonderful. Wow. What are you guys doing next May? <laughs> and there was, I don't know. Come with me to Cannes Film Festival, yeah, and uh, let's go and pitch it over there. So we went. We came. We we went there. Did he have meetings set up, or was it a case of just went with? He's some... he's done. He's worked a lot, so he knew basically everybody Fine. over there. So he took us over there and just dragged us around. And he said that I'm working with these guys. They are working on this Nazis on the Moon concept. And that was the first can we went to. And did you have any images? Did you have? We, I think we did like a uh, like one kind of a mock up poster, what it could look like. We didn't have any kind of script, any idea. We had like a pitch of Nazis on the Moon. That's it. That's it. Right, yeah. Okay. But, Just Nazis on the Moon. They yeah. go, what else happened? No, no, that's it. That's, yeah, that's, that's it. So we'll, far. So far. <laughs> yeah, we'll come on. We'll later. have it. Yeah. Here's a million. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's basically what we sort of went out for. Right. Yeah. But, but I remember but, it became this kind of. Um, rolling campaign almost that like yeah. it was almost like james cameron's avatar or something like that yeah. where you hit you hear these rumors for years about oh there's this nazis on the moon movie coming yeah. out and i remember seeing the trailer uh you know when the hype was already kind of quite big yeah. at that time and that was so i guess yeah at that point what was that like that process from doing the initial poster to then building up support for it it was really uh like you said like rolling it bit by bit in a way that first can we went Nobody believed that we we're going to... Because Cannes is... If you go... Have you been to Cannes Festival? I have, yes. And I'm going again oh, right, in yeah. a week or so. Have you, have you? I haven't had the pleasure okay, yet. Yeah. No. Pleasure. Questionable. <laughs> it's not very nice. But it's... Tough, but it's, it's there's 10,000 filmmakers at, you know, tens of thousands mm-hmm. of filmmakers. Everybody has their best idea in the city. Yeah. And everybody wants their film made. So it's really hard to get that anything out of there like and and then they had the big american companies who are promoting like hell over there yeah but somehow the topic of nazis on the moon managed to wiggle its way through producers i began, i think it was like like a joke between the producers what was the stupidest idea i heard this year well you know nazis <laughs> on the moon what yeah. that's even worse than the fucking croco zombie whatever yeah. i'm working on so, and, you shark know. meets crocodile yeah <laughs> yeah yeah and then so, but but you know, it it sort of stayed over there. So next year we came back. We did a little promo for that year. We did like this, uh, not even a little. It actually turned out really nice. A little promo, like five minute promo, where we showed like we really want to do this. Oh, now nice. suddenly this this you know idea of 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 uh, you know it has like jazz soundtrack and it has very dark images of Nazis on the moon or whatever, mm-hmm. and it's very nice. And and suddenly the joke about Nazis on the Moon, which people were still kind of remembering, yeah. became something physical. And that started to get tension. And then bit by bit, year after year, we came back. And I think at one point, the financiers just thought that we're not going to go away until somebody <laughs> gives us money to shoot the movie. Right. <laughs> and then then eventually, we we that's almost it. And then basically, just briefly, 2010, we went there. We were like... We have a budget and we were missing like a lot of it, like two million of it, of that. We had no chance of getting that. And and truth was that we were either gonna, we had been already going there for three, four years. And people are now getting a little bit, yeah, yeah like, okay, okay we need on, to see the movie. This. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
And then then we were like, oh, shit, what are we going to do now? Uh, and then my producer said, why don't we have this fan base? Why don't we just ask people to get us, you know, give us money? That That's the only way we can do. So we launched a little bit of a teaser around Cannes and and we said, launched this crowdfunding campaign where mm-hmm. people can, you know, that was before crowdfunding platforms, but that crowdfunding campaign. Yeah. And then suddenly we started to get so much money that it gets traction from, uh, uh, from a lot of uh, uh, media outlets. So we got big media like Reuters and, and uh, the Spiegel and, and, you know, wow. big newspapers starting All to write right. about this. Mm-hmm. And that opened up the last gates. And then the financiers who were either already in, they pumped up their money or the new people came in and we were able to get the money together. But that was ba- basically because we set up the crowdfunding thing and that was really big push. And it was really also legally like, like a little bit of a gray area at that point, because that wasn't really established, you know, crowdfunding mm. wasn't established. Nobody had done it in that scale. And, and, and we basically went there and we said, we need, we, we need 1 million. And, and there was no like structure for that. So it was very hard, very expensive also legally to make it work in a way that it's, it's legal in. Wow. <laughs> in well, how, why do you think the, everyone got behind it? Why do you think there was so much buzz with it? Do you think it was just the idea or was it the Star Wreck following? A bit um, mixture. I think Star Wreck following in, was a good starting point. Uh, I think it's really the idea is really unique. And I think we were able to show images that sort of stood behind that, like in a way that 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 it fed even more of that like image like wow that is that's something interesting and you yeah know, yeah we were playing with a lot of nazi tropes and science fiction tropes you know, science you know big nazi ufos and zeppelins and whatever the hell mm-hmm. so in that way it, it really went and you know nazis marching and whatever and being but people very want evil that. people want yeah, that they absolutely. got nazis on the moon i want to yeah, see them marching absolutely. on the moon i want to see then, that yeah, absolutely but that's incredible, man. Yeah. You managed to raise that much money mm-hmm. um, for your, you know, first, you know, if you like, serious mm-hmm. feature, sure. uh, not to put down Star Trek at all. No, you but, know, in but any, I know what but you, mean. you know what I mean. Yeah. And suddenly you're going, wow, I'm directing mm. this big feature film here. Mm-hmm. Again, now maybe you'll know how that felt. And suddenly the, the pressure was, you know, it's not you in your, you know, your friend's basement on a blue screen. Mm-hmm. This is this is serious stuff, and you've got some serious shots and. Mm-hmm. what what went through your mind what was your process there now that was that was more scary in a way and i remember because we 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 moved to frankfurt where we shot the first part of the movie uh with the production crew and uh, i used to have a running route around the, the river mm-hmm. and along that river was the first shooting location of where we were about to shoot in one month time and i ran every day, day there and stopped over there and sort of just went through in my head like okay this is the first shooting day the you know the cast is going to be there, crew is going to be there. He's going to be this set, and I sort of went through every day, every day like, oh shit, how is it going to be? This going to be the okay, and then I and I drew. I had my storyboards, and I think thought about it, and went through every little detail mm. of the first shooting day in absolute meticulous detail just just i know exactly what I'm, they're gonna say here this they're gonna turn they're gonna say this and then i thought that i'm really prepared and sure. then the first shooting day comes and the first thing i realized that everything i've planned is just un you know nothing to do with reality <laughs> nothing to do with reality <laughs> and then i guess i i guess that was the actual first sort of real test as a director when i see that everything just crumbled down and i had to you know recreate and sort of just be on the set and then 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 okay 
this is okay we can't do the actor doesn't want to do that this guy that that's, is that what happened then because like you say yeah. it crumbled down because in my mind you've got your shots your plan okay i want the camera yeah. to come from here the actor's going to walk from there and then you got to set and they all went nah. yeah yeah it's, it doesn't matter you know one one actor is like no i wouldn't do that and like wow oh, okay first day. Um, oh, God. <laughs> yeah. I was, all right that's that's fine so what would you do i would walk here and do this well it kind of makes sense and then you know you i realized at that point that making those scenes because kind of that's how we did with starrick but it was more like just french doing stuff mm. but this time i thought i want to be really prepared i had every frame yeah. uh, storyboarded but then i realized that you still make the scene on the set on the day you yeah. cannot over prepared unless it's like a very very clear action sequence where you just you know you, you follow, need it for a plate yeah. you need it for a, a, a cgi movie. absolutely that's what you can do but when there's actors involved when there's story involved you need to be you know ready to open your mind for that yeah. and that was really something and the producer was behind me like timo do you know what you're doing <laughs> because um, this is the first <laughs> so no, oh, no, uh, no. i'm gonna say yes <laughs> yeah. and i and i winged it i winked the first day and i did the second day i i did even worse uh, mistake i like not even go into details but but like uh i i suddenly in the middle of take decided the door that had been open should be closed oh and that was i didn't realize how and what kind of destruction that meant to yeah. the whole thing oh, yeah the, the edit would be like, what? No, yeah. yes, and the shit. whole team was like pissed off like what are you doing like no we do it like that and then i learned that no you don't do it like that you actually you know you you play <laughs> along what you come up with un- unless you have to but of course even then you can still so i did a couple of these first days were mm. full of mistakes but i kind of winged it and then i got the hang of it understood like okay this is you know that the crew is there with you for mm. you not against you yes. if they come up with something that doesn't make any sense uh, you know th- telling you that that doesn't make any sense what you're doing over there uh you should probably listen to them and and unless you are like super super sure sure you know how you're going to edit this yes then yeah. you know go with the with the guts but if you just do it because authority yeah because i'm the director mm-hmm. yes the door is closed because i'm the director they will put the door closed and then you end up you know reshooting the scene the whole <laughs> so you didn't do any rehearsal then i take it uh, we did we did but we didn't have the locations for the rehearsal and we didn't you know we, yeah. we had we had what we did though with the actors was we flew them in the finland mm-hmm. into a cabin in the middle of the woods and, sounds uh, like a horror great uh, yeah Bring it on. and then <laughs> there was there was only sauna and one house and basically what <laughs> we did was fire. yeah getting that naked sauna now <laughs> yeah. no but you, you have no idea like the germans were fine <laughs> but the americans. <laughs> americans going, no oh my god i'm not getting in there with those yeah, guys that was that was they were but you know it, like, well, hey, yeah, that's it was amazing. Fun. welcome to europe yeah. it was really yeah. fun yeah, the fun. guys were like oh, you know you know yeah. so but, that, and then the germans go with their you know towels and uh, <laughs> towel down swinging around <laughs> like come on guys take it easy it's not yeah, that, yeah, you know just yeah. sit down yeah you're naked yeah it's not that special stop with that Towel thing. That's one thing I can't stand with the Germans is their is it, sauna tradition. These, oh, I've not seen them do that. Well, they swing the towel. Yeah, just... they put water on the on the on the on the stones, and then they swing the towel to put that heat all over. Oh, it doesn't yes, make any and it sense. makes no sense. No, yeah. because yeah. It, it doesn't do anything. It's just it's like. <laughs> It's, it's, it'll get to you. The Just a strange get ritual. Hot. You might as well swing your dick. You know what yeah, I mean? Exactly. There's, there's no point in swinging yeah. your towel. Yeah, so, which is what I they... love the Germans, but their sauna traditions are 
insane from our perspective. Yeah. So those of you who don't know sauna traditions, uh, welcome to <laughs> sauna traditions. Absolutely. That should be your next this film. Year, yeah, we'll be exactly. talking about uh, uh, you know, German. Yeah, <laughs> swing, German. Uh, that's that's really something that. Okay. That, so it's a baptism of fire on set. You had to, you know, literally go, "Wow, this mm. is a serious movie." Yeah. And you've got big, you know, big team there. It's Absolutely. a big budget. Eighty you've got people, hundred people around cranes. Yeah, big sci-fi. It must have just been mind blowing. You know. Yeah. It, it was and and couple of days i felt like a very very small uh, small guy in the middle of all these professionals but the more you start trusting them the more they start trusting you fact, the same yeah. goes with the actors first mm-hmm. the actors are like what yeah. is this guy doing <laughs> they even had like meetings i heard later on they had meetings like Oh, Timo is really nice, but does he know what he's doing? And wow. for the first couple of days, I understand. I'm like, yeah, absolutely. That I would have joined that meeting. But then we had... <laughs> yeah, Timo doesn't know what he's doing. Yeah, but, <laughs> but then Udo Kier, who's... Uh, yeah, uh, one big of the, actor. Yeah, and he was in he this came film. in and, and he was on the set half a day and he was sort of... The, he, they had already sort of been warning, like, I don't know, this director's not necessarily the most experienced at this point. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and he was on the set and then he was watching as I was working and then he invited me over to his uh, trailer or makeup trailer, whatever. I went down and he said, Tim, I've been watching you now for a while and I think you're very young, but you're very good. You're very good. And that gave me the kind of like, of course he was pushing. He was but that's the (laughs) kind of guy he is. He knows, he, he knows what's wrong in the set. Mm. He know it doesn't matter what's wrong, even if it's just just like the gaffer is angry at the at the at the cable. Yes, he knows the moment he walks in. Yeah, there's tension, mm-hmm. and he does something to help that tension. Mm-hmm. And of course, when it comes to director, that tension he he took off that kind of that kind of tension from me uh, right away. And he said also to the other actors, like you know, let's just you know, it'll be fine. Yeah, and and bit by bit that Do you know that's amazing. That's a very clever, experienced actor yeah. there who just knew yeah. that he said, "If I just metaphorically put my arm around this this mm-hmm. director, suddenly he'll relax. It will mm-hmm. make everything better." And yeah. everyone will relax. Wow, yeah. that's incredible, isn't it? And that's was he was he really good anyway? Was he yeah. brilliant on set and very professional? He's and, a pro, isn't he? Yeah, he, he's a pro, uh, and 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 as a pro, he's he's great. But he's more like a <laughs> you know general spirit around the set. Like that's once so he's there, he's sitting next to you on the on the monitors. He does say anything he can be there for eight nine hours if he's really? you know if he just comes in early he, he loves to be on set yeah. he sits in his hitler uniform over there <laughs> just watches things and then you know rolls his eyes sometimes when some of the actors are being divas or whatever right <laughs> but the amount of um directors he's worked with and the yeah. amount of film genres he's been in um he just has like yeah, such has. a broad experience yeah. so those who don't kinds know, of let's, let's name a couple of his films the popular ones are obviously like frankenstein yeah. uh the flesh for frankenstein and um, uh, Blood for Dracula are the uh, older ones and then he made uh, Lars von Trier movies Melancholia yeah. he made uh, he's worked with von Trier yeah, he's he been did. in Giallo films yeah as well. American ones you know from Independence Day yeah. he did that and it, you know he's so big and how did you cast him how did you manage to get him in, in your film uh, well once you come up with the idea of making Nazis on the moon then the first person who comes to mind is really Udo Kier even if you know his like films or not so true. but 
Yeah. Actually, my knowledge to him came through uh, gaming because he was uh, obviously I know him as an actor, but mm-hmm. I uh, read Alert Two was a was a game that my producer of the Star Trek was playing a lot, and I saw used to saw his face on the on the on the yeah, he was playing a lot when we were shooting, and I and and then then when we were thinking he's like I'd love to get him to play you know whatever Nazi general we have we didn't have the script yet then but like I have to get him on board one way or another right. right. And then uh, years later, when the casting director acted, well, who would you like to have to play characters in this movie? So I, I don't know, Udo Kier, is that possible even? Mm. And he said, let's see, he's very, you know, he's busy, yeah. tricky, doesn't live in, uh, he lives in the States mm-hmm. nowadays, whatever. And then he got, uh, we sent the script to him, it was very early stage of script, very messy script, very, very messy. Definitely not the shooting script. <laughs> this is you'd written at this point. Uh, well, yeah, me, uh, me and sort of our Finnish team yes. had been writing that and it was like, it was a, it, 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 the story was there definitely, the characters, but right. you know, it was but just in a terms mess. of, yeah, it's yeah. a mess. And All the right. translation was like, oh, whatever. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but we, we sent it over and then didn't, of course, hear back from him for many, many, many weeks until I was in a shop one day just buying my groceries and then then my phone goes off and there's a oh who's this hello timo this is uh this is udo who yeah you're like udo who? udo kia Udo. oh oh let me put, oh, shit, yeah, yeah, let me shit, put down oh, my that, you know, right. apples and oranges <laughs> on my hands and let me uh, and and he asked like this episode is brought to you by Visit Myrtle Beach. You know what's better than getting away to a beach? Getting together at the beach. Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. They've got over 2,000 restaurants, live music playing all day and night, and endless attractions. This place was made for playing hard and beaching easy. Welcome to 60 Miles Where You Belong. The Beach, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Plan your trip at visitmyrtlebeach.com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Etsy. Sound the gifting panic alarm. You need to get an amazing gift. Wait, no, the perfect gift. Relax. Now you can use gift mode on Etsy. Gift mode on Etsy takes the stress out of gifting, so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. It's easy. Just tap or click gift mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like. And Gift Mode instantly gives you curated gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. Now it's simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. So whether you need a housewarming gift for the new homeowner or a birthday present for the pickleballer, Gift Mode has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. Like, what are you? What kind of movie is this going to be? Because I don't want to do a serious Nazi movie. I said, no, this is not serious. No, movie. this is no. fun. Yeah, this is, yeah, this is yeah. this is fun. This is, this is on the moon. It's yeah, not serious. Absolutely. Yeah. But he wanted to make sure because it's always very clear that that because he is a is a child of that. You know, he was born in whatever 1945 or something like that. Mm. So he's basically, you know, his his parents were were 
suffering during the wartime. He, you know, all of the people he grew up with had something to do with what he didn't want to do and has never wanted to do a serious Nazi role. Yeah, I mean, he's done a bunch of serious roles, but when he does Nazi, Hitler or whatever, he always needs to have a, a comedy side. So he wanted to make sure that that's, that's the case. And because you got someone like him, did it make a difference to financing? Were they questioning who your cast were at any point? Because, you know, you've got great names in there, mm. but they're not necessarily no. who would, you know, sell a movie, if yeah. you like. No, it, it was that. That was kind of the easy part. And that's what I learned Learned is, is really the easy thing is when it's not a name-dependent cast, mm. it's really much easier. The moment you are in a situation where you need to have an A-list yeah, or even a like drama. a yeah. little bit less than an A-list, but you know, need, need a name that somebody could recognize mm-hmm. then you enter in a, in a in a situation where suddenly the whole everything flips around yes. in a way that first you are casting for a script you've written production you're you know pushing forward mm-hmm. but then when there is there is a name you need to get attached that you know everything flips around and it depends a little bit of course on, on who you're working with but already you know then agents and the manager are involved mm-hmm. and, and and you know everybody's involved and then they have this list and they send you this crazy list like Craziness. do you want to have a, a tom cruise and uh, yeah sure yeah, and as a young you. female yeah this is it mm-hmm. but of course for that actor to get on port board oh come on yeah. that's the longest road it's, it's there's always a lot of money but there's only a handful of actors who actually matter in that sense totally and even then that changes like johnny depp perfect yeah. example that changed already you know yeah. it's like well is it anymore yeah and that's really fascinating so yeah. no one they always say they know you yeah. have to get this person this person but actually yeah. that list changes and yeah. some people on that list most people don't know and yeah. you, I, it's a really strange one I it found is. really strange so it's great that you weren't cast dependent so now yeah. you could cast who you wanted and exactly. go great I can well, go I can my did, film how I want it yeah I can just go to the casting stage and, and, and then even for the leading lady or leading mm-hmm. uh, guy I can just you know work with a bunch of people and then choose okay this is the best and this is the yes, best and even yeah. put them to work together oh this chemistry works or it doesn't work so that's really uh, that's a dream situation i am aware that in the future of my career i may not be able to work like this and i already experienced that once now that i'm working on a chinese movie Mm -hmm. uh where the where the which is cast dependent uh though chinese cast dependent so it's kind (laughs) of different because i don't know you don't know who they are (laughs) (laughs) but even even still we needed to have like a american cast there so we needed to have like a uh, andy garcia there and that was already just to get that working was a bit of a thing but so iron sky came out um got a great release did no. really well no. around the world and then they said right let's make another one well yeah I like mean, you said you're always going to do a trilogy that was your mind so that was in the mind yeah. yeah the same year 2012 in Cannes, i pitched my producers a promo for the next one and i, I didn't say that I, I have any idea what it's going to be but i said that i want there to be a promo where there's hitler riding dinosaurs she goes uh, you know the president of the united states goes underground and flies with the helicopter and goes into the hollow earth and all that. and they're like okay i guess so and then we basically just uh, did a did kind of the same as we did with iron skies like first let's do a promo mm-hmm. because nobody's going to believe we are sane in any way absolutely <laughs> and then, absolutely. And then another show. sauna idea I've had. yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> and then, then show people five yes. minutes promo yeah. which shows what we're going to do and know that we're going to do it in a way that it looks good you know yes. it looks believable at least believable enough and and then let's start talking about the financing amazing right let's let's give a little description of iron sky the coming race mm. which is out on the 6th of may um and is in cinemas on the 24th of april which is literally 
today. Today. 20 years after the events of Iron Sky, the former Nazi moon base has become the last refuge of mankind. Earth was devastated by a nuclear war, but buried deep under the wasteland lies a power that could save humanity or destroy it once and for all. The truth behind the creation of mankind will be revealed, and an old enemy leads our heroes on an adventure into the hollow Earth. To save humanity, they must fight the Vril and ancient shape-shifting reptilian race and their army of dinosaurs. The world as we know it ended in 2018. The war between the Earth and the Moon Nazis had led to all-out nuclear destruction. The last survivors of the human race made their refuge on the dark side of the Moon. The exiled remnants of humankind made their new home in the former Nazi base. The Moon Führer? I hope it's not what I think. to be here for long. We are going to head to the center of the earth, which is apparently hollow, and hopefully find the one thing that can save my mom and basically the whole of mankind. Okay, cool. Can I go? Yeah, yeah. I mean, what a synopsis! Yeah. <laughs> what a synopsis! That's a long but, but synopsis. Once you read, once you read it, out, like, are these guys totally? Like, <laughs> totally does it make you? This is great. This yeah. is so cool. But I mean, okay, yeah. let's get get because you know, it's the special effects. Something that people go, "Wow, mm. how do you make a sci-fi film?" Especially on you know, your budget was it's a budget, but at the same mm. time, it's not astronomical. No. But yet your effects look incredible, you mm. know, Jurassic Park level, you know, even now. And and I, I was fascinated. I was like, how the hell did you do that? And certainly in the first one, but this one goes to different levels. Yeah. How do you do it? How? Uh, well, I mean, there's a couple of things that, that it's also good to mention, about, by the way, about the budget. Like, although the budget for this movie is about 20 million euros, which is a lot, mm. huge amount of that is actually financing costs. So they are stuff that do not show on the screen. Sure. So actual budget, what you actually see on the screen is even smaller. Mm. So that's something that I want to always bring in mind, because when you're financing a thing like this and then you have some troubles and, and you know, that's when things get really expensive. So, so that's one thing. But yeah, coming back to the visual effects, uh, first Iron Sky was very popular in Germany, surprisingly. The Nazis and the Moon turned out to be uh, a, a you know, winning Eleven. ticket. It was really, really popular in Germany. And, and yeah. for many reasons, one of the reasons was that finally somebody was making fun of the Nazis in a way that the younger generation was able to, uh, you know, relate to mm -hmm. without anybody taking a piss on the sort of the, the victims of the Nazis in a yes, way. We're really yeah. making fun, you know, making fun of the Nazis and, and showing kind of the ridiculousness of that and and this younger generation was able to go into theaters and say you know laugh at the nazis for once for a good good yeah. time not probably the very first time but but it really took a non-german filmmaker to make that kind of transition yeah yeah anyway that was quite popular so when we started to work with the coming race we we knew that we need the creatures the dinosaurs and we found uh, a possibilities throughout Europe, but we found this one studio called Pixamondo in Germany, der Stuttgart, Germany, Deutschland. And they were working on uh, Game of Thrones, and they were big Iron Sky fans. So that's hey, the, uh, otherwise, otherwise, no entry there because they do big, big stuff. They yeah. have just the top did, people. Yeah, yeah they, the, they just the done best, like Oblivion right. with Tom Cruise and whatever. Mm. So no chance. But... They liked Iron Sky. Yeah, Iron Sky. So we suddenly we were sitting around the table. We said, okay, we will never have 
not even the closest amount of money that Oblivion or Hugo or even Game of Thrones has for their visual effects, but we'd love to work with you guys. And they said, okay, let's figure this out one way or another. And, you know, they threw in so much passion and wanting to do this because Mm. they wanted to be involved. Finally, they get to work with dinosaurs, solving problems you'll never get in a a car commercial or whatever. (laughs) So true, yeah. So That is as fun as this. Yeah, I mean, and and even with, uh, with, with, you know, big productions there, it's, it's very structured, but, but with us, there was a, piece of anarchy in there from their perspective they're probably animating the same kind of shots for every studio project mm-hmm. they work on so for something like this where they get literally probably animating shots that are so bizarre and off mm-hmm. the wall yeah they're probably having the time of their lives animating it. I, that that's what i gather from from their experience uh, i mean from from the discussions with them but again uh they're germans so they are also a little bit reserved so you never get necessarily that much you know so they're not giving too much away yeah, yeah. <laughs> but for us i think as Finns who are really kind of rude, not rude, but you know, we don't, for example, in our language, we don't have word like please or bitte or stuff like that. We just say that, go there. We don't say, would you please go there? Mm. That's just too many words. We say, go there, do that. And and that uh, that that kind of sort of uh, straightforward kind of rudeness sometimes bounces back. I get German actors come to me and say, Timo, you have to learn to say please. I understand your language does not have that word Mm -hmm. or that's not the tradition (laughs) but you have to especially if you ever end up working with the hollywood you have to be able to be a little bit more polite you do you can't just you can't just say get in the sauna yeah i mean (laughs) please could you get in the sauna somehow makes all the difference i can go now i'm fine to go now (laughs) please put down the towel (laughs) you don't need to swing that (laughs) no but so passion Mm. passion was the first thing that 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 made Iron Sky and Star Trek possible, and definitely passion was the one reason that the coming race became possible because the the guys working on that one were so enthusiastic on that, mm. and they we run into many bumps down the road, and no need to repeat all of them, and and many times the production was on the hold or or waiting for something, and and you know they were doing you know they had to start doing some other project and you know and all that right, but they were always when they okay now we got more money let's go. <laughs> They were like, yes, finally. Right, so it was always that waiting, the hence yeah. why it took so long. Did you shoot almost uh, off the back of the release of Iron Sky? Was it like, right, we're going into the second one straight yeah. away after the success of it? Yeah, and it was pretty easy to finance like the first 10 million of that, so to say. Really? <laughs> because it, That's it, incredible. Because Iron Sky made so yeah, much money? It, well, not even that. I mean, it, it made barely its own back. That's basically what happened with the Iron Sky. It was, it was, it was very popular. Mm-hmm. And very very popular on the pirate network, yes. <laughs> but but, but we didn't have the the big muscle to put it out like theatrically to compete to with Avengers or whatever. But so, it had an infamous reputation, yes. So you could so, use that absolutely, and and you know digital whatever. So so in a way, it it made what it cost approximately back. So we were relatively easy to get get the first ten million. I guess the bigger problem was the second ten million because we needed all together fifteen twenty million to make the whole thing, but. Uh, uh, so so that posed problems yes. and and we so we basically we shot the movie uh stayed in budget but after that we started to encounter trouble after trouble after trouble uh and that eventually led, led, led us into a situation where we just basically ran out of money we right. couldn't finish the was movie that vfx yeah. issues yeah maybe. well it, it was really it wasn't so much about the v, vfx specifically it was just the fact that that we shot the movie and then we lost some financier who was like ah. because things took a little bit longer 
longer than we expected. This financer will have, yeah, I can't wait. I gotta go. Yeah. So we we had to find a, a replacement for that. That took time. And then eventually that led to many times in the situation where we were like, we can proceed, but then, you know, run out of money. We have to find new money and then maybe we can proceed a little bit more, but then we have to find more money. So we sort of lost 18 months of, of wow. production because of all kind of troubles. But also, you know, I think it also made the film better because then we were able to edit it more while the production was uh, on hold. So that kind of things, of course, enhanced the whole film. But of course, it's frustrating when you have to wait around and see. Yeah, that must have been really annoying. Yeah. Um, Especially for the, I mean, for the producers, it must have been hell. I mean, I know they went through... It's a lot of money. Yeah, yeah. there was a lot of money and they went through the, the conference calls which I only s- watched from a side mm. the Skype calls just talking with you know 20 different entities from all over the world lawyers there's a completion bond there's a financier there there's like a yeah. whatever like a huge lot of people and, and then trying to put this huge puzzle together and it's not like if somebody puts in money it's it's more like what kind of money where does that money come back from and mm. you know that kind of huge lot of things so yeah. they they fought a big battle to get that working but yeah. eventually we got it so it's yeah. good uh, yeah right. let's talk about the action then did you plan when you knew that this explosion going to come down did you know this is the how the fight's going to work and cgi heads and you know all that kind of stuff let's talk about the action and the fighting side yes yeah, see, see the action itself is is something that um we did plan quite uh, in detail because usually in this film the action included most you know dinosaurs in one way or another there's like three major dinosaur sequences uh in the movie where where the actors are uh in some sort of touch with the dinosaurs Mm -hmm. and that makes it so that then you can't just go ahead and shoot something you have to be very specific on what are you going to shoot so we did very very clear animatics you know obviously storyboards Mm -hmm. then animatics out of it and refined them and they were always on the set on the next to me on the screen like okay this is the plate i need to shoot now Mm -hmm. and then i've shot this plate the camera needs to move a little bit here and shoot this plate to get this actor from the right angle and even still like because things never go the way you plan still you have to be a little bit improvising but that's the stuff you have to be careful when improvising because it's so easy to shoot uh, an actor from a little bit wrong angle and you just cannot put it in place at all and then trying to explain this to the actor is like okay (laughs) yeah I know this is a great idea which you are proposing, but I cannot allow you to do that. Mm. I, w- I mean, yeah, we can do an extra take where you can do that, which I sometimes do just to give the actors sort of the feeling that yes. that you know th- that they get their sort of creative input. So that kind of action is something that with the first Iron Sky was big space battles, so mm. it was huge machines in space all CG created, no human interaction to really have a, a direct connection with the with the action was completely new also for me. You know, Udo Kier riding a dinosaur there and, and with chariot race and whatever. It's just really, uh, it was very technically challenging. Yeah. How did you do that? Perfect example then. How did you get Udo on a, on a dinosaur? How did you <laughs> physically do it? We had a, a crane, which was up to three meters or something like mm-hmm. that. Uh, we counted with the CG team how tall the creature is going to be and what's the optimum place for placing <laughs> if you want to put a saddle there. Yes. We found a big saddle. Uh, then we had to spread the saddle because the, the neck of a dinosaur is much bigger than than, than legs of a, of a horse, horse, in a way. Sure. So it can't be just like sitting in a horse. You ha- it's much, much wider. So you're almost doing the splits. I mean, it's... Yeah, yeah it's really, it's really <laughs> wide. Yeah. 
said. I love that you're having to solve problems that no one on earth yeah. would yeah, yeah, ever yeah, think of. Ember, ah, yeah. That's what I mean. To get you on a dinosaur. Because yeah. otherwise it would just look really weird. Yeah. It's like his legs are inside the dinosaur. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. so we have Udok here sitting, uh, wired obviously, yeah. on top of a crane, which has like a big sort of a green sort of thing on top of which there is like a, a, a saddle of a sorts yeah. and then, then Uda there. Of course, many of the shots we also do like full CG character when it's further. And the rains you had to do in a way that you had like a piece of rain and then there's a little LED lamp in the end of it. So the rains are, uh, all the rains are done in, in CG starting from, you know, two, uh, five centimeters above your uh, fist. But then you have to have something in the fist. So we had like this kind of a moving tracking marker, mm-hmm. sorry for that. Just oh, uh, but but the funny thing with Udo is like he doesn't care. He's like, yeah, problem. Yeah, go on a train. Just, no yeah, problem. just tell me where to look. <laughs> yeah. What's my eye line? That's the only question. Like in a way, like uh, am I close? Okay, what's the eye line? Yeah. I know what I'm doing. Like yeah, and then he plays there. He goes and, for it, yeah. and does it? Because that takes an enormous amount of trust and faith, doesn't it, yeah. from an actor to be in that situation? I mean, you you read stories about like when Peter Jackson was making The Hobbit and yeah. had to make Ian McKellen sit in a green screen on his own in his own room because they had duplicate sets between that and all the characters playing the dwarves and uh, he for him coming from a theatrical background found that very difficult but so it's really it's interesting to see that Udo is sort of uh, so so casual about it yeah Yeah, Yeah. I just uh, my wife is reading a book about Michael Persbrandt who plays the Beorn in uh, Hobbits and she was just yesterday reading me uh, you know clips you know bits of that specific points like first he goes around the room talking to a bunch of tennis balls and then he goes to another room where a bunch of tennis balls talk to him and he's like what am I doing here as an actor it's not yeah. really you know it's it's not not you, what you get into no. yeah yeah I, I totally, hello dear yeah. so it's, well, uh, well talking of that because it is quite amusing but yet the whole film has that element of comedy and this yeah. wonderful wry wit mm. that comedy and you, you have that throughout the film mm. I know you said that that was something you wanted in but how's that working with the actors and getting that as well as like you say we're now on top of a dinosaur we're mm. now this ha- how do you manage to keep that lightness and keep it as fun as it is? It is a good question, and I cannot tell exactly even, like, it's it's really, I think it's most, first and foremost, it's really, like you said, like, you have to create a trust. And after that, the actors are, you know, they trust you, and they're like, okay, you know what you're doing. Mm. Uh, in the beginning, it's a little hard, because, of course, they're like... They don't necessarily get even with the second one. Of course, I was as a, as a director much more confident from the beginning. So it's not not it wasn't that they didn't trust me as a director. But some of the actors were very nervous on what's gonna be around and wanted to have a very very detailed explanation. Okay, so what do I see here when I look there? What do I see? It's, like, ah, it's just I cannot just go as a director. Ah, it's just Moonbase. Who cares? Yeah, yeah it's just yeah. some a bunch of people and you know spaceships flying. You you have to actually you know sit down and explain in very detail and, and create this trust and then try to show them you know as we shoot try to show them in little clips like okay this is how it's gonna look like so they get a bit of an idea yeah. like okay this guy knows approximately how these shots are going to be shaped up in the end but it's still that's only very like it's, it's really about the trust that if, if you trust then it's easy but if not then then it can be really hard to explain those right. scenes yeah it's also about casting the right kind of actors who can get those performances across as well right as long as you get a, a good actor you should be able to work with with such a lot of visual effects but the most important thing as a director is to is is especially if you're shooting a sequence where the actor doesn't have a lot of freedom to do things to 
pay attention to the actor, talk with the actor, and and sort of be there and listen, and not just go use them as we say in Finland, we say like as a mitten, you know, a prop. Mitten. Yes, as a prop, like yeah, go there, stand nice. there, do this. Uh, you kind of have to go there and have to. I mean, it's it's your job to go mm. there and explain what it is that you want the end result to be like and why it is like this. Then they can get into this little, even if the headspace is very little, like, okay, I'm sitting here, I can basically turn left and right and that's it. But even then they can, you know, bring in the little bits and pieces of a performance that that you still need in an action sequence. Otherwise, you could just replace them with the VFX doubles. And, you no, know, absolutely so, right. Yeah. So that's something that that I I learn more and more. Amazing. This has been fantastic. Could you give some advice for before we wrap up mm-hmm. uh, for a a young director? who's coming up now and about to make their first film and they go, oh, do you know what? I want to make a sci-fi. I want to do what Timo did. What's any advice you could give them now looking back at what perhaps you did wrong or, you know, just any advice would be great. I would say that that uh, there will be a lot of people on the way who will be saying that maybe you should do something a little bit more easier. But I think the most important thing is like like gather up a good group of people who are enthusiastic about this, this stuff mm-hmm. and then form your own team with them and, and, and Put your effort on that. It may take a couple of years to finish that thing, but it's going to be worth it because that's really the way to launch a career. You have to launch it with something that's that's really that has the sort of the look that the the world needs because the world has enough of mediocre, uh, you know, short films out there. So if you want to do something, you just take the time, find the right people, and take the time, and then after that, uh, the other thing which I always say is like like especially because a lot of people come to me because of the visual effects, like you guys did so much visual effects and cool and stuff. Mm. I still say that, that in a way, try to forget the visual effects and fo- try to get the story right. Yeah. Try to get the characters right because they don't, people don't watch things uh, for the visual effects. They, they do watch it for the story of the characters. And, do, yeah. and because that's unfortunately the other thing, which is, which is to see great looking stuff, which just, it, it's just cardboard characters yeah. reading out mm. cliche lines mm. and, and there's enough of that even nowadays. So yeah. if it doesn't work after you put it together with the green screens, and if it doesn't work, if you don't get any kind of traction, no kind of feeling, mm-hmm. then you are in trouble. It doesn't matter how much visual effects you throw in there. Probably the easiest way is just to reshoot some stuff and try to find different angle for that because it's the visual effects can only save they, they can give you the wow of first 20 minutes yes. and people will give you for yep. the first 20 minutes wow 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 mm-hmm. wow and then they're gonna okay now the now the story and if the story isn't coming then it falls flat and that's unfortunate brilliant advice and it's so true because it's true people get that first initial yeah. this is amazing and they go what oh, story they forget yeah. it's yeah. 3d they forget yeah, you know absolutely. It's, it's story is so key yeah, timo amazing thank you one more thing yeah pay attention to sound Mm. pay attention to sound i really found it to be one of the great great important things like find a good sound designer good recording person who gets the great lines because there's nothing worse than a great take with a horrible sound which you 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 have to adr it's never gonna be the same so try to get that sound sound good
That's good advice because you can also use sound to suggest other things Absolutely. You know, outside of the frame and stuff like that. Yeah. yeah, you can even do like a very, very expensive CGI shot only with sound. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, if you're running out of money, you just, you just okay, the guy looks over and there show and a you hear this reaction. Yeah, yeah, yeah to a yeah. sound is going by. And if yeah, it's good it. sound, you yeah. believe it because yeah. you've maybe seen it already in the past. Absolutely. Team out, amazing. Good. Thank, Thank you. you. So Iron Sky, The Coming Race, is uh, it is out now in cinemas mm-hmm. and it is on Blu-ray and DVD digital from the 6th of may from 101 films tim hello mate (laughs) he's in the room with us as well Uh, and thanks to the film label as well for setting this up thank you guys absolutely so where can people follow you on social media so uh, you can follow me i'm quite active on uh, twitter at uh it's got well you could find me at my name at leon blank is actually leon blank yeah that's the old you know but back in the days when you had to have like uh, handles you didn't use your own name in social media so i'm that old so you had to come up with that exactly you're a gamer as well so yeah Yeah, is that what your no i think that Ah. that comes from from my david bowie fandom kind of thing one of the david bowie characters leon blank anyway that's what i do and then of course on instagram i do but i'm not on facebook there is a bunch of my my name profiles but they are fake so don't follow me on facebook follow me on insta or twitter there you go thank you thank you i'm loving that loving that um they do have an iron sky film on twitter as well so you can follow yeah, them and also they do have a facebook again iron sky, yeah, iron sky has yeah. and uh, but, not, in, me person, but yeah. not you not you oh, but the iron sky universe is on absolutely. youtube so go check yeah. that and if you've not seen the first film go see that as well as checking out this brilliant new film the coming race thank you for saying that and thank you for reminding that yes we have iron sky universe on facebook and youtube which is actually the main channel for iron sky stuff but if you want to just personally meet them, that's a different thing. But maybe you don't. Maybe you want to follow Iron Scott. Maybe that's better. No, I think, I think you as well. I think our <laughs> listeners will definitely yeah, want cool. to follow you. Nice. So thank you very much for joining us. Absolute thank you very pleasure. much. It was yeah. really great. Uh, you can follow us at Filmmakers Pod. You can follow me at Giles Alderson. Robbie, where can people follow you? Just Robbie McCain. Yeah, yeah, it's just pretty name, simple. Like, same as me. Same yeah. as me. Absolutely. Um, thank you for joining us, Robbie, and doing yeah, sound and no. being part of this. Today. Thank you. Thank you. It's great. Pleasure. Great to hear the knowledge. Yeah, it really is. Uh, remember, you can get all our back catalogue at filmmakerspodcast.com where we have many podcasts all about how you can make your feature films as well. Um, remember, if you're doing really well and you rise up and do extremely well and you're at the top of the elevator, remember the people at the bottom and strive out to support them too because they need your help. This has been amazing. Thank you very much, Timo. Thank you. Thank you, Robbie. Thank you, Giles. Thanks, Tim. Thank you. Uh, Take care, everyone. We will see you next Tuesday. As always, it's been the Filmmakers Podcast. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. This was a podcast from the Podfix Network. You can check out more shows like it at podfixnetwork.com.